0: You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know like this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me, Amy Winehouse, back to black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters, May 17th. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there, Candace. Jane, did you take time the other day to watch all of the inauguration ceremonies and television footage? You know what? I was so busy I didn't get a chance, but I've I've been watching it on like YouTube and all like that. Okay, so you followed up on all all the stories, the fashion, the speeches, the bloopers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Yeah, of course, yeah. It was really fun in the House Stuff Works office because a couple of us dropped. Our work, and mm-hmm. we went into the common room, and we watched the ceremony on TV, and it was it was really special, and, and not just because the Obama girls looked adorable in their brightly colored clothes, um, and because Rick Warren pronounced their names so fancifully. <laughs> I have to, I have to quote him: Malia and Sasha. We really couldn't get enough. We've been saying it around the office ever since then. But it was just really great to be in a room with intelligent people watching such a historic event. I bet, yeah. And I was thinking how utterly, incredibly, tragically sad that it is the last inauguration we will ever see, because the world will end in 2012. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. Jean's a little bit on edge. Um, yeah. I, I don't necessarily ascribe to that belief. I am just trying to get everybody worked up, excited for our podcast today, which is about the Mayan calendar. And if you are at all familiar with the Mayan calendar, you may know that there's a prophecy that the world will end on December 21st, 2012. That's true, and some people are a little uh, on edge about this
1: idea, although it doesn't have that much... uh uh, history in terms of the Mayan calendar, in terms of what the Mayans actually believed, which is interesting.
0: Right. I think a lot of the, the fuss can be attributed to doomsday speakers. And we actually yeah, got. Those are always popular. Yeah. So. Well, because they're fun to hear about and they're fun to think about. Sure. Sort of. The end of the world is always popular. The end of the world. We actually got a listener email about the Mayan calendar. And I'm not quite sure if our friend Melina is a, a doomsday believer or if she just wanted to hear more of the story behind it. But she wrote to us, Hi, I'd like to know what the Mayans really say about this 2012 end of days. I have heard many interpretations, most of which I think are geared at selling books, smart girl, and doomsday (laughs) gear. I'd like to know how accurate were their predictions and why this calendar was so important to them. So, Melina, here's the answer. And we will start by cracking the code behind the Mayan calendar.
1: And to understand this, we have to get a little context about uh, the Mayan civilization in general, I guess. Just to let you know, the Mayans, the whole empire was incredibly sophisticated. Uh, they existed around parts of what is now Guatemala, Belize, Honduras, El Salvador, and parts of southern Mexico as well. And, uh, they were a very sophisticated culture. They actually started writing. They were one of the first, um, Mesoamericans, the people in, in that, uh, Central American area, uh, to start writing at all in the pre-classic period, which
0: went up to from
1: between about 2000 BC and 300 AD.
0: And you can actually divide the Mayan civilization into three distinct periods. The formative or pre-classic, which Jane just mentioned. Then the classic followed, and that ran from about 300 until 900. And the post-classic, from 900 to 1400. And around that time, we see the Mayan civilization sort of reaching a, a bitter end when the Spanish Inquisition comes in and starts phasing the culture out. That's true. And scholars
1: are a bit baffled by what happened at the end of the classic period. It's interesting. They were Incredibly sophisticated, but it, there was a time about 900 AD where they reached a sharp decline in their civilization. They left cities and temples abandoned. It was very odd, and scholars disagree about what caused this, whether it was exhausting the food supply or there were wars among peoples. And you're right, Candace, the Spanish arrived in about the 1400s, late 1400s, and that sort of ended the period of the Mayan Empire in general.
0: And we know a lot about Mayan history because these were people who left written records. They had a system of hieroglyphics that they used for recording myths and history and other governmental decrees, things like this. They actually had uh, sort of like a primitive type of book and paper that were bound together, as well as stelae, which were large, freestanding stone monuments, almost like an obelisk, really, mm-hmm. that they would carve things into. And in addition to hieroglyphics, they also had logographics and a phonetic syllabic sort of alphabets. So they, in many ways, or at least three ways, really, of recording their history. Yeah, that's right. And a
1: lot of their writings had to do with time in general. They were very focused, maybe preoccupied with the idea of time. And that's where we get the idea um, that they were... That how they came up with all the
0: different calendars that they did. Right, and calendars were important because they wanted to mark the passing of time because they looked to heavenly bodies in the sky to interpret the behavior and the moods and whims of their gods. And... Many of their actions, whether it was, you know, a ceremony for for planting or mm-hmm. for the economy or for accounting procedures, were based on God's behavior. And almost like today, how some people ascribe to astrology to determine how a person's personality may be influenced by their birth date. The Mayans used their calendar for similar purposes. That's right, and Numbers themselves
1: held a particular importance. Particular ones, like the number 13, for instance, held sort of religious connotations with the represented uh, levels of heaven where sacred lords ruled the earth, and... So number 13 is pretty important, and that um, applies over to the first calendar, which is called uh, the Zolk'in, I believe it's pronounced,
0: calendar. And we should mention, too, there are all manner of pronunciations, <laughs> as far <laughs> as we could tell in our research, yeah. for the different increments of time and names of the Mayan calendars. So um, we're assuming that there are some scholarly variations on pronunciation, but we are going to go with the most popular. And to kick it off, like Jane said, the Zolk'in calendar also called the sacred round calendar. Let's let's break this down and this is going to get a, a little bit painstaking. So if you're near a computer, it might actually be helpful if you could go to the House Works website and pull up the calendar. Yeah, I'm sorry, pull up the article on how the Mayan calendar works. That's right. Um
1: it'll be easier to visualize if you we have a nice animation on the site that will let you go through this
0: Zolk'in calendar. Okay, so the basics. The Zolk'in calendar is divided into 260 days. And this number is uh, kind of significant in and of
1: itself. Scholars kind of disagree, but it might signify the length of a pregnancy. But
0: uh, more than likely, it probably signifies the time of a corn crop. Exactly. So from here, 260 days are comprised of 20 different day names and 13 different numbers. So imagine two circles, and around the outer larger circle, we have the 20 day names listed. And each one is represented by a glyph. Then on the inside circle, it interlocks with 13 different numbers. So as the inner circle turns, a number matches up with a glyph of a day name. And if you're good at math or you have a calculator nearby, you may have figured out that 260 days is derived from the fact that 20 day names times 13 numbers equals 260. Yeah, that's true. And so it
1: would go through the cycles of the days and the numbers together. And as you know, 13 is less than 20. So once it got through the 13 numbers, it would go back to the first number, but continue on in the cycle of uh, the 13th, or sorry,
0: the 14th day name. Exactly. So it just continues rotating until you reach 260 and each combination of number and day name has a significant meaning and the holy men and the agriculturalists of the Mayan civilization would use these numbers to predict auspicious times for ceremonies and, and crop planting like we said earlier. Mm-hmm. But there was a problem with the Tolkien... I'm sorry, not the Tolkien. Well, some people say Tolkien. We're saying Zolking. Mm-hmm. The Zolking calendar, and that was that it didn't measure a full solar year like the Gregorian calendar would do. That's right. They were smart enough, obviously, to figure
1: out that there were seasons and 260 days was not a solar year, basically. And uh, we should also mention that the Zolking calendar had segments of 20 days, which they called reenals, um U-I-N-A-L. And so... These segments of 20 days were pr- particularly important, and they carried over into their other calendars
0: as well. And this led to the Hob calendar, and this was a calendar that was based on the cycle of the sun. And weenols were sort of the, the formative unit of the Hob calendar. So, as Jane said, a weenol is a 20-day period. There were 18 of these 20-day periods, which equaled 360 days. Now, as we know, again, 360 days does not a full solar cycle make. So That's there true, were, but 360 is a pretty even number, and I like it a lot. Yes. <laughs> so the Mayans compensated for those five extra days by making them nameless days, and they referred to those as a wayab, and that was a single month comprised of these five days, and they thought it was a very dangerous time. That's right. And the way I
1: was kind of a compromise between the mathematicians and the astronomers because obviously the astronomers knew, like, Three hundred sixty days is not a full solar year, but mathematicians love the evenness of the number three hundred sixty. So that's where they get the compromise of, of the wayeb.
0: And during this time, it was customary to pray vigilantly and to celebrate the gods and to beseech them for blessings on the civilization in hopes that you know good good tidings would be restored again. That's right, because during the wayeb, they believe that God sort of left the whole earth unprotected. So, but- Again, same old song, you'll hear this refrain a couple of times, it wasn't enough. They wanted a longer calendar.
1: <laughs> and uh, the even though the Hob calendar is closest to our Georgian calendar today, um, they did want to record more time in a single calendar uh, for historical reasons to keep posterity. And uh, so they came up with
0: what's called the calendar round. And this had 18,890 days and encompassed 52 years. But here comes that refrain again, it still wasn't long enough. Uh, 52 years was not enough, as you said, and so they
1: wanted to um, make it even longer. And this is the massive, most massive calendar <laughs> I've ever heard of. Um, it's called the long court calendar. We refer to it today as that. And it measures time in great cycles. And a great cycle spans a little over
0: 5,125 years. Right. So the long count calendar also has its own individual units that it is comprised of. So let's go over those. We've got one day, which is a keen, 20 days, the weenal, which we've heard before, 360 days, a tune, 7,200 days, a katune, 144,000 days, a tune. So we have all these different individual components going inside the long-count calendar, and we see that it is very useful for measuring epochs, really, for mm. giving historians something to um, base their civilization on and predict future civilizations going on and and things like this. Yeah,
1: it was actually a difficult task to be able to find the zero date uh, of the Great Cycle. For instance, we're in a Great Cycle right now, And in order to figure out what date today is in the great cycle, we had to figure out what the first, what the beginning of this great cycle was. And that
0: ended up being August 13th, 3114 BC. And we didn't just come up with that number happenstance. There was a, A British anthropologist named Sir Eric Thompson who wanted to reconcile these different calendars and in order to find out when the current Great Cycle began, he had to match up some different events from the Spanish Inquisition that had been recorded on the Dresden Codex, which was one of the Mayan governmental records that was spared from the ravages of the Spanish Inquisition. And he took that and compared it alongside the Long Count calendar as well as the Gregorian calendar to come up with a definitive date. And like Jane said, that was August 13th at 3114 BC. So we're in the middle of a great cycle. That's right. But if you do the math, we're actually about to
1: end that great cycle. And Mm -hmm. that's where we get the date of December 21st, 2012, uh, which will end a cycle. But it's important to note that the Mayans believe that this is not the first cycle that's ever existed. It's actually I believe the fourth. And so the universe or the planet uh, has lived through um, already three cycles, the ends of three cycles. So the Mayans don't necessarily believe that the world will end at the end of this fourth one.
0: No, and they actually think that the ending of a cycle is a really wonderful time to celebrate and to appreciate the fact that the planet has made it through another great cycle. Yeah,
1: but there is also another reason why people think that this might be the end of uh, the world because an interesting thing is going to happen on December 21st, 2012, and that is that it is a winter solstice, but you know, that happens every year, but it's also a
0: particular winter solstice where the sun will align with the center of our galaxy. And that happens only every 26,000 years. So if you're like me and you're curious about what people say, you can do a Google search and pull up all number of different doomsday websites and predictions for December 21st, 2012, range from the culmination of social strife and environmental catastrophe and, mm. and war, uh, sort of amalgamating into a giant apocalypse. And some people say that a comet or asteroid is going to impact the Earth and we're all going to die, or that the magnetic field on the Earth is going to change and the poles will be reversed, or... Or, hey, you could rent Mel Gibson's Apocalypto and sort of get a preview of what's going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting if you uh, look at the idea
1: that the Mayans were actually able to predict eclipses, which is pretty sophisticated for, for what they knew. And so maybe you might be inclined to think, oh, well, did they know that this, this crazy happenstance was going to happen on that day, too? But uh, most astronomers uh, actually agree that they could not have known this.
0: Right. So... All all number of possibilities for December 21st, 2012. And we know that this is a very hard concept to reconcile in your mind without seeing the visual age. So we would strongly encourage you to look at the article, How the Mayan Calendar Works, and also a question of the day that we have called, Will the World Really End in 2012? And if we have spooked any of you out there, well, I, I blame Melina. But for for those of you with um, insatiable appetites for historical knowledge, just be sure to email us your questions at podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.